Up next on episode 60 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss the value, or lack thereof, of meta-discussion, how much big iron popular websites need, and whether code forking is sometimes inevitable, from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. One of the rules of Stack Overflow, it's a little bit Fight Club-like in that we don't... We prefer that people don't discuss Stack Overflow on Stack Overflow. Yeah. Uh, and and, and you reasons can tell, for this. You can tell by the meta site exactly why we prefer that. <laughs> really? You think that's true? I actually had one user comment yeah. on Twitter. Gortok commented... He's like, man. He's like, man. I really fought you on this meta thing, and and now that it's you've opened Pandora's box, I see what you were talking about. Do you, wh- wh- why do you say that though, Joel? Well, the reason I don't like having meta on any discussion group is that it's something for well, a lot of it is something for newbies, right? Like, like the first thing that happens, a newbie comes into the discussion group and starts hanging out. And they're like, wow, this is really fun. I like this discussion group <laughs> but they have all kinds of feature requests and ideas and stuff like that like the first thing they want to do is start reorganizing it in their image you know they really? start they start discussing like you know why why can't you sort the things here by color you know whatever it may be right and now because they're newbies they're they're noticing the same thing that all the other newbies noticed and brought up as subjects of conversation and because they're newbies they don't know that these things have been talked about endlessly and they're boring yes. to the people that actually live in the news group and use it for news or discussion or whatever. Well, isn't that the point in which you, the grizzled veteran would, would point to the fact yes. and sort of force the user to go there? Read the friggin' FAQ. Yeah. Um, I, I have noticed that. And actually, that's something that came up on User Voice a lot was that I, I, you would get the same stuff over and over and sure. over. And, and because, yeah. And, and some of it was bugs. Like if it was a bug and it came up over and over, something we could fix, then I would definitely fix it. A lot of my strategy towards bug fixing is just to keep people from emailing me the same stuff over and over. Right, because it, it just gets boring. But also think about what happens when you have all these people inside the forum or discussion group or what have you. And all they're talking about is the actual way that it works. So like, let's say that you get really interested in podcasting gear. You're going to buy some mixers. <laughs> just in theory. Just, just in theoretically, theory. right? So you're like really interested you in somebody. like, yeah, what kind of headphones and what kind of microphone should I use and when should I do the ADD conversions and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, you find this awesome podcasting gear website and you go on there and the first subject of conversation is who's going to be elected to the podcasting gear website board of directors. And the second subject of conversation is whether the election that was done last year was 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 orthodox or was it slightly you know was there something suspicious about about that whole thing. And then you find a whole bunch of people arguing about that. And then you find a conversation about whether or not all the people that came in last year from South America don't speak very good English should be allowed to hang hang around, or maybe they should just you know maybe they could be like read only members for the first six months. And that's all you find there. And you want to talk about mixers and mics. 
That's why you came to the site. And they want to talk about, they're bored talking about mixers and mics. They've already had the full mixer and mic conversation all the way to the end, to its logical extreme. They all have now the perfect podcast setup. Except for, you know, there's this one little thing about, you know, whether or not to use monster cables that people still argue about. But, and so all they're talking about on the so-called podcasting gear website is the podcasting gear website itself. Yeah. You see? See what I'm saying? Let's see how yeah. infuriating that gets. No, I, I do. And actually, I made a comment on Twitter that I, I'd been thinking more about the meta stuff as we launched meta.stackoverflow. And, and part of the reason I wanted to launch it was that uh, the community needed an outlet. There was a certain section of the community that really, really wanted this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they went to such lengths that they were actually setting up you know, their own PHPB forums, which I applaud. I mean, that kind of initiative, that's great. It's like rather than complain about the problem, like sol- try to solve it. And I totally support sure. that. But yeah. I, I, I couldn't take PHPBB anymore. No, like, that's I feel just like unexcusable. The paradigm is just broken for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. I mean, I've been using traditional web discussion boards for more than 10 years now, and I'm just I'm, – I'm done. I'm out. Right. I mean, I feel like there's problems they don't even attempt to solve, and the noise factor is just too high. Um, and then the other factor that motivated – so that was one factor that motivated was just, like, helping me to get off PHPBB because I don't feel like it's a good – Solution. Plus, I mean, they know Stack Overflow engine, so why it's a logical thing to move forward on. Uh, then the other thing is there's, there's still a lot of people that really didn't like user voice. I, I like user voice. I still like user voice, actually. Mm-hmm. But I, I recognize there's a huge contingent of the community that doesn't like it at all. Like, it kind of actively pisses them off. Yep. So I figured they, you know, they must like Stack Overflow, otherwise they wouldn't... <laughs> be here in the first place. So although it's not a perfect fit uh, to the problem, I do think that the Stack Overflow engine can work for what's, what user voice is doing. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone. One is that we have a meta site, and second is that we sort of address the ongoing dissatisfaction with, with user voice. So for the record, meta is going to replace. definitely replace user voice. There's okay. no question. Um, I, I just got to figure out what to do. I already shut down the server fault user voice since it was much smaller and mm-hmm. kind of fragmented the community a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and I guess there's a hidden third reason too, which is that I'm kind of wondering how well the Stack Overflow engine works for pure discussion-y type topics, which is a lot a lot more of what we're going to see on Meta. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we had brought this up before, and, and we had talked about putting uh, – the business of software forums on the Stack Overflow engine, and you had expressed, and I think rightfully so, concern about you know whether discussion would really even work in this format. And right. I think having the meta site is a small step towards running an experiment mm-hmm. to see what happens to the discussions. Like if you ha- try to have discussion in the Stack Overflow engine, what what kind of, what will happen? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Um, and I think this is one way for us to sort of find out. So it's really it, it solves those three things. Well, Meta still has sort of Q and A approach to it. There's, there's, there's other stuff where... Well, um, I think the engine kind of forces people to act a certain way. It's yeah. kind of like the software. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's controlling a little bit how you act. And I think... But of it's, course. Yeah. It's kind of a, you know... Yeah. I'm it's all a template about that. And everybody's mapping to the template. Even if they don't realize they're doing it, they're still doing it. it uh, yeah. Okay. So, so meta.stackoflow.com. Go there and poke your eyes out with a pencil because it's so boring. <laughs> It's actually parts of it can be fun. It's, and one thing it's, I, it's like it's like uh, it's um, what they always say. They say it's too inside baseball. Well, and, and it's tr- it's t- it's tricky for us because this is our job. Like you know, the Stack Overflow team. This is all we do all day long. Is right. think about 
Stack Overflow, right? right? I mean, yeah. But that's not your job. I mean, you as a participant in the community, we're trying to free you from having to think about that, right? You know, it's it's sort of like having a good manager as a programmer. A good manager says, "Okay, look, you don't have to think about all these crappy management meetings I have to go to. All you have to do is do what you're good at, which is programming." And that's the same attitude I have towards Stack Overflow. It's like, you know, you guys don't worry about the Stack Overflow stuff. Just you know, go out there and solve programming problems. That's right. what this is about. Not discussing Stack Overflow. Um, that's kind of our job. So for me, it's like natural. It's like, of course, uh, you know, I go on Meta and it's like, this is what I do all day long. This is no different than <laughs> all the calls I have with, you know, Jared and Jeff. And mm-hmm. um, and I certainly welcome the community input. But I, I think the thing to bear in mind is, I, I think when you're we're dealing with Meta, it's a percentages game. Don't spend more than N percent of your time doing Meta stuff. Because Meta stuff is not stuff. Building a solution. It's not solving a problem. It's just thinking about the problem space, which you want to do, but I think you want to skew heavily towards action mm-hmm. in your life. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, otherwise, you're just one of those people that's like a philosopher. You're like, oh, just let's just think about everything. Well, you can think about stuff, but you should also like do stuff, right? I mean, that's how progress is made in the world. Uh-huh. So it, it's a question of ratios. So that's what I would encourage people ha- how to look at it. So. Do stuff. Yes, folks, do stuff. Go onto the job listing page, jobs.stackoverload.com. Take one of those jobs. <laughs> yeah, get a job. Hey, I got a question for you. Okay. You replied yeah. to one of my Twitter messages about the Sennheiser headphones. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A different friend of mine who I can't remember who now told me that he had the Sennheiser headphones and the, the friggin' thing kept coming dis- – the wire kept coming disconnected from the plug. Like well, it broke. My, problem, my problem is a little bit different. So let me, let me put some context around this. So – I had a blog post a while back, and I still believe this. I should probably revisit this topic that, that good headphones, and by good I mean like $200 and up, yeah. is like a fantastic investment. It's not like compu- buying a computer, which is like it'll be worthless in three years. Headphones are timeless. Yep. I mean, a good set of headphones will serve you for 10, 20 years. Um, and a, the, here's the weird thing. A really good set of headphones is equivalent to a set of floor-standing speakers of like many, many thousands of dollars. Right. Because they're so close to your ear. And the way they sort of isolate the sound, you'll get the sound experience of having the super high-end yep. stereo. Okay, congratulations. So, you just invented the Sony Walkman in 1978. Because <laughs> that was the key intuition of the Sony Walkman, right? Everybody who's buying these boom boxes and these big stereo systems was that s- smaller headphones that go right up against your ear could be like a million times better. Yeah, totally, mm-hmm. totally. So if, if you like music at all, if you're the type of person that likes to listen to music and can do headphones, really encourage you to go out and just make a... An investment in headphones. So, with that in mind, I have these. I have two sets of really nice Sennheiser headphones, like you know, hundreds of dollars, mm-hmm. not exorbitant, not crazy. I'm not getting into the you know fancy electron tuned audiophile cables, which that's crazy land. But yeah, you know, at, at a nice quality level. But both of these sets of headphones had the same problem in that they eventually developed an intermittent connection in the right, right speaker, exactly the same way. And okay. now it's doing it again. This is the third time. And did you you send it back and take advantage of their free guarantee warranty service? No, I did not. I oh. didn't know. Well, first of all, they're, they're under warranties, and, and you can just send them back and get a new one. And secondly, they're not uh, – Sennheiser is not like the cheapo, Kmart, whatever. If you call their tech support, you get a person in America who will help you with your problem. And, really? Yeah, this is what Christian said, my friend Christian. He's, he's, he went through a couple of these problems where he sent them back and they replaced them. And finally, he put a note in there when he sent it back, and he said, uh-huh. listen, guys, it's always breaking in the same place. You should address this issue. And yes. a person called him up, and they sent him a little kit that he put around the thing. It was like a little shrink wrap thing that you heat up, and it like melted around the thing that is supposed to prevent this it. problem. Yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. 
Well, it's definitely the cable because the minute I replaced sure. it, because I had two sets of headphones and I would just swap the cables and immediately the problem went away. Yeah. Um, so it's just odd. It's like you'd think we have cables down by now. Like the whole cable, that's a solved problem. Um, uh, not, not in Sennheiser's world. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, well, they're certainly aware of this and they're def- they'll definitely support you if you call them. That's what, that's what I heard. That's, That's odd, you know, because for for consumer stuff, I have just given up on the concept of the support. Yeah, you, you don't you I don't really remember. expect it. But that's why this, no. I mean, these Sennheiser headphones are substantially more expensive. And he was my friend Christian was doing this on their cheap, low end, thirty dollars headphones. Really? Wow. Yeah. So the nice old ones. You, do you remember? You, there was a uh, this is this was uh, this was uh, this goes back a while, but definitely in the seventies, I remember that almost all the headphones you could buy for your stereo system were the over the ear. Or whatever you call it, around the surround your ear kind, where your ear gets sweaty after about forty-five minutes. Oh, I like surround the ear. Yeah, some Wait. people like that, some people don't. I couldn't stand it because of the sweaty factor. But you have uh, sweaty ears. There, well, there you go. There's your Joel fact of the day. If you if you listen on the ceiling, the headphones that seal you in for about an hour. Uh, yeah, it gets hot in the headphones that seal your ear, and sure. Well, and the centers that I have are actually open on the outside, though. Okay, they so the open ones, that was Sennheiser's big innovation. They were the only yeah. company that had that, was yeah. this sort of open kind of thing that sort of sits on your ear and doesn't, like, try to seal your whole ear in. And that well, was well, – they were also extremely lightweight compared to everything else that was available in the Well, actually, in, no, in no what I'm talking about is it goes over the ear, but it's actually open. So it's not closed. I don't, I don't know if that's correct terminology, but, like, people can hear what you're listening to because right. it's sort of a mesh on the yep. ear side. But it does cover the entire ear. But I do prefer the open. I think it's a better sound. Right. Now, as far as op- you know, whether it goes over the ear or on the ear, that's totally a preference. I actually use the Bose uh, noise-canceling headphones to produce this podcast because um, there's a little bit of a hum in the office here, which uh, you guys can't hear because I remove it um, from the air conditioners and the ventilation and stuff like that. And, you know, various, who knows what fans and power supplies and stuff. Do you like the noise-canceling stuff? I've never tried that. Is the active noise-canceling where it tries to generate yeah. the reciprocal yeah. or whatever Yeah, the exactly. Sound? Oh, yeah. For, well, first of all, if you ever use that on an airplane, it's awesome. It, it really does um, make your flights seem much more pleasant. Um, uh, it makes it, like, possible to hear the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's just awesome. And okay. uh, if you're, you know, in this particular situation where I'm really trying to listen for noise and eliminate it, uh, the noise canceling headphones do a really good job of eliminating the ambient noise, so that I can tell you know what the noise is on the track. Well, I think for programmers too, this is particularly well, um, because I mean, this is the whole in the zone thing of like being able to sort of shut out the outside world a little bit, put on your headphones, and not have people bug you, and just do your work. Right. Um, I mean, I do that myself, and you know, I don't really have. I work from home, so I don't really have people bugging me too much. Although we do have a four month old baby now, so that he, he bothers me occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> Well, just that's his job, and then you got to put another pickle into the into the barrel where he lives in the little hole that you made for him to eat through, right? <laughs> <laughs> Some noise coming from that barrel, honey. <laughs> put in more sound insulation. Put another pickle in the hole. Give him something to eat. That's right. Uh, so we also have news on uh, superuser.com. Oh yeah, uh, how's our uh, final stages? Uh, we have a poll going on this site, Polls Boutique, which is. Yeah, let's see. It's funny because I had actually had an interaction with these people. This guy had mailed me um, talking about the site Paul's Boutique, which, by the way, is a pun on the Beastie Boys album Paul's Boutique, like explicitly. Because I asked him, I was like, "Is this a pun based on Paul's Boutique?" Oh, like, I can't totally believe it is. My favorite, my favorite logo is is is, is the number five. Yeah, it's getting well. That number three is doing a little bit worse, but yeah, your your choice was. Oh, got. I see. The numbers are not the numbers. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, mine yeah. is the. I like the um, Swiss Army knife. I thought that was really cute. I thought it really addresses what Super User is all about. You know, it's yeah. got a little USB thing there and a fork, which is cute. 
Yeah. And well, it's got SU on it, which I think is important. Well, I wanted to put this up to a vote because I felt there were a number of contenders that were all solid. Yeah. Like I, I felt like any of these could potentially win. I liked them, but I really just couldn't decide. I don't get and, the glasses. Is that supposed to be like Clark Kent's glasses and they're taped? Is it like well, a combination it's of those like two things? Per, it's it's kind of like your stereotypical geek glasses. Uh-huh. Okay, forget it, it, that. That's just dumb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's not, it's not dumb. It's just not so, it's not us, you know, it's not it's nothing it doesn't speak to it's a, it's glasses. It doesn't speak to what being the super user is all about. Well, one thing I learned early on, I might have touched on this in an earlier podcast was the daily WTF logo contest. Like that scarred me for for life. Like seeing what won in the mm-hmm. daily WTF logo contest. Mm-hmm. Um, I still there, their logo? there are limits. There are limits to what you can sort of crowdsource in terms of letting the crowd pick design stuff is really risky. I think that I don't know. I, I, I sure. think you have to have people that have a background in design sort of make those decisions because otherwise you get some really strange uh, results. So the intent here was, you know, not necessarily to let the poll pick the winner, but to, and it provided really good feedback because the one that's winning, and I don't want to say which one it is, but the one that's winning, I didn't realize that m- so many people liked that one. Like I like that one too, but I was torn. And having this data helps me decide. I, you know, there is a there is a problem. I think that that uh, I have a theory as to what causes the problem with crowdsourcing design, or in, in just in general, asking people what they um, what they like in terms of design, mm-hmm. is that the, the what the people that aren't trained in design are going to go for the most familiar looking. So if you if you um, uh, I, th- I think I've said this on the pad- podcast before, if you sh- show somebody five sets of silverware and say which one of these sets do you like, at, would you like for, for for your house as silverware? Most people who aren't trained in design and don't have a strong opinions about silverware or anything like that and don't even know how to choose will tend to just pick the one that looks like the silverware they had growing up because that looks like to them the most canonical. You know, they're, 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 it's sort of like the Coke, the problem with the whole Coke, te- Coke, Pepsi taste tests, mm-hmm. how they, they did the Coke, Pepsi taste test and Pepsi was just winning every single time. So they changed the recipe of Coke to taste like Pepsi and they called it new Coke and people were infuriated and they hated it and they boycotted it and they had to go back and people still buy Coke, even though they know that in the direct one-to-one test. And it turns out that when people are actually testing Coke versus Pepsi, um, not really knowing how to say which one they like, they simply tell you which one is sweeter. And it's the same prop because they're just they're looking for something, some basis of comparison. And they don't really know which one they would want. But when they're trying to compare two things side by side, all they know how to do is tell you which one is sweeter. And the same thing happens when you go buy a plasma TV at the Circuit City, which thankfully is no longer exists, or Best Buy, mm-hmm. which unfortunately still exists. And um, all the TVs are all cranked up at their maximum brightness, maximum contrast. Because oh, people, people don't know how to judge picture quality and so when they're just comparing 16 things side by side, they're going to go for the brightest one. That's a, that's a good point because you're right. Because, God, I just actually upgraded monitors recently. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I decided I didn't really want larger monitors. What I want was slightly higher density. Like I, 1920 by 200. One, one thing I do a lot of my monitors is I split windows, so I have windows side by side. Mm-hmm. Well, 1920 divided by 2 is like 960. Mm-hmm. And the web, web is not really designed to work at 960 pixel width. So... You know, but this no man's land of you can't really have windows split down the middle, and it's just a big pain in the butt. But they have these monitors that are uh, 2048 by, I don't know the exact resolution. But anyway, it's 1024 if you divide it oh, by Oh, I two. see. So you can actually And when it. they came out of the box, they were, like, blindingly bright, right? Uh, 
nobody if yeah. you're using an LCD at the default brightness, which is always the max. Yeah, you're crazy. You're crazy. I mean, I turned them down to like thirty. The and newest, uh, yeah, a the little new, too bright. What they're what they're mostly doing, what a good manufacturer will do nowadays, most of the time with a plasma, is um, they'll give you uh, uh, they'll they'll have multiple settings. There's like movie, whatever, and then one of them is a setting for watching sports one of them is a setting for movies and then one of them is a setting for like on display in the store mm-hmm. and you turn on that the stores know to turn it on that setting and usually that's the one that you get out of the box is that's turned on because if the store doesn't know they still want to make sure that it's on the super and it's just super bright super high contrast it's just meant to look good next to a bunch of other things in a heavily fluorescent lit uh you know target or walmart or whatever right no, that's a great example so, I mean, so anyway those are all that- yeah, yeah, those, those are all examples. Uses. Well, those are all examples of how people, when they don't, if you ask them to make a choice and they're not really sure how to make the choice, they'll often pick something on a criteria that may be, you know, either most familiar or most bright. Just something they're like, well, which of these is? They don't necessarily choose choose that well. So, looking at this content, I sort of feel like the one that's winning right now, even though I like it, is the has the least personality of of all of them. I, th- I think that the the it's just it's just a um, to the people that are listening. You'll you can all, all go look at this. Uh, there's a link to it from the from the blog. But um, it's a left square bracket and then a period and a right squiggly brace that looks sort of like a face. And then it says mm-hmm. super user in two colors, which is sort of our theme throughout the throughout all of our logos. And I just feel like that one is um, a, a little bit bland, a little bit lacking in personality. There's this little character with a left square, whereas the other ones like the there's something kind of kind of cute and adorable about it, about the little uh, um, uh, the Swiss Army knife. There's a little character that's like Superman, but it's like pixelated, so that's kind of cute too. That's kind of a kind of reminiscent of the Wally closing credits where they do that Atari 8-bit graphic. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. In the Wally closing credits, you can find that on YouTube. And um, uh, yeah, but those ones with personality are kind of losing. Well, there there are some clear leaders, and I think if you go back to when we were choosing the domain name uh, Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. we we put up a similar poll, and really what I was looking for is like, is anyone really pulling ahead? Is there any sort of statistical significance to the differences? And I think the worst case scenario would be they all have very similar vote levels. That means you haven't really done anything worth voting for, in right. my opinion. Right. Um, so as long as there's sort of a leader and and something that people are responding to, I do think that's a valid piece of data to use in making your decision. And I think here we have two logos that are kind of clearly pulling ahead from the rest, and those are both contenders. Um, and like I said, I don't, I don't feel like we have to pick the one that's winning the poll, but we definitely don't want to pick the ones that are clearly losing, probably. Right. right. That's my take on this. And I think that's, that's the way to crowdsource design at that level, is just to get feedback about what clearly isn't working, what clearly is working, and just use it as a very broad barometer, not pick this, right, but just, is it working? Um, and if people get can't to, respond to it, then yeah, you're, you've you've kind of failed. So I'm gonna go make. But it f- looks like we have two that are working here, which is yeah. good. Yeah. So. Wait, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to hack this poll. I'm gonna make a blog post on Jolin Software that just links <laughs> directly to voting for the one that I want. Are you really gonna do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I probably not. I'll probably just go with the crowd, and we'll have the little square bracket and the right squiggly brace. Oh, it's not see. bad. No, no. It's not bad. I mean, I, all of these are 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 excellent. Uh, are very professional, you know. I, well, not I, according to some commenters on the blog. Some commenters on the blog are like, "Oh my god, these are all crap," and then they go on to pick three logos that I think are all crap. So, you know, 
<laughs> yeah. No accounting for taste at some level. I don't know. It's very subjective. So at some level, you're going to get what we pick, and we're just going to move on, right? We're going to build the site. Right. Uh, and I am very excited. So give people an idea of timeline. They're asking about timeline. I envision us, us putting um, superuser.com into private beta. Uh, n- is it the first yet? No, that's tomorrow, right? Yeah. Uh, the first, yeah. So next month, July. Sometime in July. Okay. We're going to have the, the private private beta and then the way we usually do it. So Meta, awesome. I have, uh, I have some questions to start asking. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a fun site because almost anything will be allowed there as long as it's computer-related. That's How about an iPhone? If it's related to using the iPhone with a computer, yes. <laughs> but if it's not compu- fully computer-related, then no. Well, an iPhone is like a computer, right? Eh, are we going to get into this already? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's already things that you're not allowing on, on superuser.com. Uh, the other problem with superuser, unlike Stack Outflow and Server Fault, you pretty much do have to say superuser.com because superuser is such a is, is such a common it's, – it's a meaningful – it's a real word that people say all the time. Really? People say superuser all the time? Yeah. To, really? To, yeah, to refer to the, 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 the account on Unix. Okay. I, w- I would think that would be more like a system administrator thing. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't think the average computer user would be saying superuser all that much. No, but I mean, there are people who have to say it. And so we're yes, going to have to say superuser.com. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe they say SU. Maybe it, it's, maybe they say or root, root or something. I, yeah. I think root is what I usually hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, root I hear all the time. Yeah. If we were root.com, I don't think we could afford that domain, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, so uh, another uh, piece of Stack Overflow news. Okay. Uh, we did actually upgrade memory in our database server. So we went from 24 gigabytes to 48 gigabytes. Wait, uh, why did you get 48 then? Well, because at the time, the 48 was a little bit more expensive. It's actually declined in price since we originally built the server. And second... No, uh, no, we're well, why did you... You, just, you, uh, you wrote on Twitter that 48 gigabytes arrived on your doorstep, didn't you? Yeah, well, I just ordered it off Newegg. Okay, so if you already had 24, why didn't you just get an additional 24? Why oh, because it's buy 48? Every slot is occupied. Oh, so you now got There's 24 There's 12 memory slots, around. so it's 12 times 2. Now it's 12 times 4. Got it. And we're going to use the old memory. We're eventually going to have another database server. Okay. So we'll, we'll build, you know, build up the same server. That server will have the old 24 gigabytes of memory, so uh, the memory's not going to waste. It's just... It's going to be probably by the end of the year we'll need another database server, I think. Did... Uh, yeah, Okay. I, I have this memory fetish, basically, I've developed over time because, A, it's so cheap. I mean, because 48 gigs of memory was, what, like $1,100? It's really just not that much in the big scheme of, you know, what we're doing. It's nothing. Now, didn't we to- discover that SQL Server was hitting its cache like 99.99% of the time anyway? So it is. Wouldn't, wouldn't it that is, but we're also indicate adding that memory wasn't going to help? Well, we're also adding tons of databases. We've added... Meta, we've added, we're going to add uh, a super user. Okay, um, fair enough. Default. So the server is getting more and more used over time. Sure. And it gives you a ton of breathing room. Like if you, if you, if you accidentally happen to write a query that's bad, <laughs> right. that doesn't actually use indexes the right way, um, a bunch of stuff gets paged out kind of. Okay. Um, so it gives you a lot of flexibility with just not having to worry pretty much ever um, for a long, long time. We're just postponing us having to worry about database scaling even further. And we have another thing in our back pocket, uh, and we know we work with Brent Ozar on this, who's like a database ninja, uh, is database compression. Have you looked at this? This is new to SQL 2008. Uh, and when database you turn this on, 
the database is stored in memory, compressed. Like all the stuff that that's normally would be cached, is compressed then cached. So you pay a little bit of a CPU cost for this hmm. service, um, but it you know dramatically increases the effective memory space that you have, assuming you're storing compressible data. Now, if you're storing just a bunch of zip files in your database, then you're probably hosed. Right. <laughs> or JPEGs or something like that that doesn't compress very well. But most database stuff is you know highly compressible. It's just a bunch of text. Got it. Yeah, especially because it's probably all being stored in, in actual uh, uh, UCS2 Unicode. Yeah. Which means really every other byte is zero <laughs> for, yeah, exactly. for English text. Yeah, exactly. So we have that in our back pocket as well. So between having you know 48 gigs of memory now and the ability to flip on database compression, I think we'll be able to make it till near the end of the year before we have to worry about database stuff again. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I, too, I, I wrote this blog post about the, the plentyoffish.com. He bought a server with 512 gigabytes of memory. Yeah, which did we ever hear anything the, about that? Do we ever hear more about this other than that? No, article he that never he really followed up. You know, Marcus is too important to follow up with me. Yeah. I don't rate in Marcus's world, sadly. Uh, so I'm tell a big the people about uh, yeah the server and Plenty of Fish and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so Plenty of Fish is is kind of interesting to us because it's it's built on the Microsoft stack and it's like a top ten website in the world. So it has just ungodly amounts of traffic. Like our our site is like just a blip on there. That would be like right. an hour worth of traffic. Maybe not even an hour worth of traffic to them. It's probably the biggest uh, Microsoft site outside of Microsoft. Yeah, the big it might be. So we follow with great interest, sort of, and it's it's kind of like one guy basically. It's just one guy, Marcus, with a few helpers, is doing all this stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating from that degree, as, uh, that side as well, is that you could run this humongous website just as a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find it very fascinating. And Marcus is kind of a, a, an interesting guy to follow on his little blog that he does. And he had mentioned that their site was getting so big. Uh, that being free was starting to get really expensive because he just needed so much infrastructure, so much hard drive space uh, to serve up all these requests. You know, he has to back up the data. That free starts to get not look so good at a certain scale. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can have a free service if it's just you on your server and, you know, 100 people are hitting your site. Yeah, who cares? The cost of that is just, you know, pennies on the dollar. That's what Malcolm Gladwell's article in this week's New Yorker is about. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. And um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about how he, he be, Malcolm Gladwell is basically reviewing Chris Anderson's new book, Free. Chris Anderson's book, Free, is the same speech that Chris Anderson has been giving in the last three years, the editor of Wired. And he keeps saying, <laughs> since, ever since he wrote the article in Wired magazine and then gave that speech for three years and is now going to make a whole book out of this thing, the concept about how when things get close enough to zero cost, you might as well just round them off to zero, make them free. And... Uh, um, the, the the book sounds terrible, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote an article, just totally slamming this book. And the article itself that Malcolm Gladwell wrote, slamming this book and the whole concept, is <laughs> a, a, almost, if possible, worse <laughs> than the book itself. <laughs> Will inevitably be, although it's not out yet, so I haven't read it. Uh, it's coming out any minute now. Malcolm Gladwell, among other things, points to a widely discredited Credit Suisse report on Google claiming that YouTube is costing them, I don't know, $500 million a year or something to operate YouTube with all the bandwidth that they're using. Mm-hmm. And that was just based on Credit Suisse's estimates of average bandwidth cost times number of videos. Anybody who knows anything about the Internet, well, about the operation of the Internet, knows that Google has peering agreements all over the place, and there's no way they're paying anything like that for their bandwidth. Uh, wow. Because their bandwidth benefits you know, the other side, too, so they just have peering agreements, which are no settlement, right? They're free. 
So, uh, so, th- so this Credit Suisse report just keeps coming up again and again. And now it's come up in the New Yorker where it was presumably fact-checked. And like I say, anybody who knows anything about anything knows that that's just completely a, uh, a wrong fact. Well, it's kind of like those reports about how much it cost Apple to build the iPhone and those component breakdowns. Right, right. They break it down to the components, and then it's like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Apple does deals. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't go to Newegg.com and order each individual component. Um, uh, uh, but anyhow, um, so, uh, yeah, free uh, costs a lot when you have a lot of um, users. But if you actually look at Plenty of Fish, it's still pretty friggin' cheap. It is freaking cheap, and I think he bought at the extreme high end. Which anytime, anytime you're buying something, there's yeah. like there's a continuum of pricing, right? And in the middle, there's like this sweet spot where you get a really good deal for like a really solid amount of stuff. Uh, and then if you buy at the extreme high end, you pay like this ungodly premium, like you're getting ruby encrusted servers, you know. Right. Um, and he actually bought at that level because I think he felt like he needed to. But this this server he's looking at, we, we just broke down the numbers. We're trying to estimate how much he paid for it. And we it's got 512 gigs of memory, eight CPU sockets, uh, 16 drive bays. I mean, fully configured. We think it's fully configured. Um, six power supplies. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Dell even makes servers in that class. Oh, this is an extreme enterprise server. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, an HP, he said. The but... base price is 17 grand, like empty with right. nothing in it right it's just for the case <laughs> yeah that's just for like yeah that's just for like the the on switch uh, oh you get the on switch I thought that was extra. I thought, oh yeah. that's right no it's a server sorry the on switch is extra sure. just like the drive rails yeah <laughs> so we were pricing on the hp website the most expensive yeah. configuration they sell is like i think 30 i want to say forty thousand dollars but it has like 32 gigs of memory it's like got nothing in it um, so we think it's at like a hundred grand plus. Okay, so this is, but the reason he's doing this is because he doesn't want to hire a whole bunch of programmers to uh, to have to um, shard his uh, database. Yeah, yeah. Is that the right that's word? Right. Did I use shard correctly there? Or I think I so. Bloviating? I think so. So the concept of sharding the database is you you split up some of the records are on server A, some of the records are on server right. B, and then servers A through Z, right? And each one has a different shard the database, but this usually requires some pretty intense application level changes because you don't really know where the data is at any given time. You have to, there's like a hashing function basically. You have to have some logic and then you got to go put that everywhere. You know, this is like, this permeates your code. It makes a big mess out of all your code. Yeah, I don't think there's any way to, and I could be wrong and I probably am wrong actually, but I I can't think of any way you could fully abstract that away where Um, it just magically would work. Right. Unless you started with one of the experimental data types like the uh, big table or whatever. Well, what happens if you use those, uh, yeah, yeah. Then you're kind of you're on this path of just big iron. I think a lot of the Microsoft solutions, when you start with SQL Server, and I'm a big fan of SQL Server to be clear. I mean, we've had our issues with it, but basically it works great. But it's it's there's not even in SQL Server a way to shard. Like there's no Microsoft solution for oh, just have ten SQL servers and have them all. Work well, they together. they have clustering. What does clustering do? But that's at the operating system level. That's not really at the, the SQL Server level. So that gives you failover or something, but that yeah, doesn't give you... Yeah, it's not really the same thing as sharding. Because like, okay. I, I actually talked to Brent about this, and he said they have some solution they're coming out with in 2010 that <laughs> kind of does this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in terms of traditional... Because when you look at the open source stuff, everybody the, the traditional mindset is build lots of cheap servers. Right. Because you don't pay any licensing costs. Right. Uh, but that doesn't work in the Microsoft world like at all. Right. <laughs> like it, the numbers just break down horribly. Um, and then on top of that, like I said, SQL Server doesn't really have an out-of-the-box 
you know, throw a bunch of servers at the problem solution. Right. So, so he's kinda, probably making the what, what I think is a very reasonable calculation, which is he either has a choice of rewriting a lot of code, which means hiring a lot of programmers or doing it himself, because he probably wrote the original code himself. Well, he did actually hire one programmer. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. So. This is the first programmer he's ever had other than himself. Exactly. So when you're making that kind of calculation, like it's a big deal just to hire one programmer, then, you know, it, it's cheaper. It is actually cheaper just to throw money at the problem if you can. If, the, if he can just spend a programmer's annual salary and buy mm -hmm. a Gigano server uh, and eliminate the need for that programmer's annual salary for, you know, a few years, um, why not? And there is the interesting thing about Plenty of Fish is there is sort of a maximum size, right, at some point. Every single person in the world is using it all day long, and that's as big as it ever has to get. So how much hardware do you need for every person in the entire world to be using his website all day long, or every single person? Did you see the uh, paper that came out about Twitter's architecture? There was some um, no. presentation they gave about it. Well, I haven't seen the full presentation, but I read a summary, um, and the summary said that they're pretty much storing everything in memory now. They don't even look at disk back as like relevant for them. Like they don't every there's like and one one thing I one reason I believe this may be true is I occasionally uh, one reason I put stuff into Twitter is so I can find it later if I think it's interesting. It's like a, a trail of breadcrumbs so I can find it. Oh, later. I didn't even know this the old stuff was in there. It it is in there, but here's the trick. You can only go back to like for me it's like December 2008 or something and then it's just like that's it. It's gone. Yeah. And this is troubling to me because I actually kind of want my full full Twitter history yeah. from like starting in 2006 when I started using the service. Well, there's a business opportunity for you. <laughs> but I think it's literally like impossible to get that data. And that makes sense in the context of this presentation because it said, you know, they're focusing on the last N months of data they're, and the rest just, you know, because they're keeping everything in memory. That's their strategy. So you can't have this long tail anymore. Somebody listening to this podcast will make a service that you can sign up and it'll follow you on Twitter. Well, actually, there, there is a service like that. But oh. I think... Wow, but that you, was fast. You guys are great. You guys are great. I, I haven't even put it up yet. <laughs> I can't remember the name. I'll, I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Somebody actually tweeted it to me when I was complaining about this. But it, it's, it, it doesn't matter because Twitter itself, there's literally no way to go further back. Like, right. you can't do it. Well, you can't get older stuff, but you could... You know, when you get on Twitter now, you could start. Yeah, if you get on Twitter now, you don't have to worry about it. But yeah, I that's doesn't Who really help. Who cares? It's such such nonsense that's on Twitter. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> are we, like we going to do this rant now? Okay. <laughs> okay, never mind. All right. Okay. Yeah, if you and don't now, like it, just Scott uh, Hanselman is telling us that I'm not that if I think Twitter is boring or a lot of work, it's because I'm not following enough people. Well, okay. Now, now we're getting into. I object a little bit to some of the Twitter discussion because I feel like okay, Twitter is such a simple service that if we have to talk about it that much. You're, you're missing the point. Okay, missing, I am missing like, the point. Not you, not you. Next. I mean you. I mean the broad <laughs> world. If there's a book, like Betsy was at the store the other day, and she put on, on Twitter a yeah. picture of this book. Like, how do you use Twitter? It's like 260 pages. <laughs> I'm like, really? What, what the hell? I was surprised when the, the how to use Google book started coming out. Well, no. Well, that actually can make sense because there's some subtlety to Google. But Twitter, the whole point of Twitter is that it's not subtle. It's a very simple service that does a very simple thing, and that's the whole hook. I'm sure these so books like, are New York Times business bestsellers right now because there's all these people that are like, how the hell do I make money on Twitter? What's the point? Oh. Where's, where's the money to be made? Um, the money. Well, actually, did you see Well, did you see that some artist was saying that she, uh, she sold 30,000 records, somebody from the Dresden Dolls, sold 30,000 records and made effectively zero dollars, I guess because of the fees and the stuff like that, but had these impromptu concerts and t-shirts and stuff she had looked, talked about on Twitter and made like $19,000. Hmm. So it is, you, you laugh, but I mean, I don't think it's limited to Twitter, but basically reaching people through the web versus traditional distribution deals, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
so I, I, that was an interesting data point. Actually, I think I got that from Clay. Where did I get that from? I can't remember. But anyway, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. As well. You want to take a listener question? Absolutely. Let's do it. Hi, Justin Joel. This is Lloyd. Thank you for Stack Overflow and the blog. Really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. My question has to do with leaving a company and what's reasonable to take with me. I'm, I'm leaving a company, working for a competitor that's not even in the same business. Okay, so I want to, first of all, working for a competitor that's not in the same business? Is it a competitor or is it not a competitor? Mm. Let's assume it's not. But okay. I want to take the code base that I've worked on for the past few years at my current company with me. This is probably illegal, yes. but is it really that bad if I don't plan to sell it to anyone or give it away? I use it as a reference point for my personal projects and to answer questions at places like Stack Overflow. So I'm just wondering what experience you've had with situations like this and what advice you can give. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, now that would be illegal. Well, what he's describing, like you said, doesn't make sense. Is it a competitor or is it not a competitor? Because I think that totally changes the tone of the question. I mean, if you're going to some other industry where they don't give a crap about right. this code, then sure, I, I could say No, that. it doesn't I, matter what the industry he's going to gives a crap. It's, it's what his current employer, if his, is, the, the real question is, is his current employer going to care? And well, there's an easy way to find out. Just go ask. Just say, is it okay if I keep a copy of the source code on my hard drive for like, looking up well, and stuff like that? Okay. And if they say no, well, then they care. And they have yeah, every right to they, care because they own it. But that's like a knee-jerk reaction. Companies always say no to everything. Yeah. It's just like, can I just, no, no, no. I mean, no <laughs> is like the default answer in a lot of companies. I mean, you just learn not to ask because people are... Well, you're dead. breaking the law. Now, well, now, there is one thing I should say which people should generally understand. Um, well, that. well, wait, wait, wait. Where's, wait, 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 wait. Where's the concept of personal responsibility? Because I totally agree that if you're actually working for a competitor and using the code from a competitor, that's so weird. That's like clearly... No, Bad. he signed a specific agreement against that. That's just that's just obviously evil. But he's not. He's. I, I think he said it's not a competitor. By which he means, it. It's not that he's going to use. It's not like he's taking code from employer A to employer B. He just wants to have it on his hard drive so that when he wonders like how to append two lists to one another in Erlang, he can you know find that function where he did that in, in the old source code and then basically copy that. That's what that's what I think. I assume he's talking about. Well, yeah. Well, in that case, I mean, there's, as long as no harm is done, then I think the the intent is correct. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go along with you this time, Jeff. If it doesn't matter if harm is done, it's it's. Uh, it, the question is, if they caught you and sued you, would you go to jail? And the answer is yes. But there's how would they catch you? I mean, this is oh, well, this is okay. a victimless now, you know, crime. Uh, this is a victimless yeah. crime. I mean, as long as it's a victimless crime, as long as you can legitimately make a case to another programmer, yeah, that describe what you're doing and say, does this is this a victimless crime? So it's like crime? Sm- it's like smoking pot. <laughs> exactly. Then it's okay. But if you describe it to the program and like, I don't know, man, that's a little weird. Then you probably shouldn't do it. I, I would say, does it pass the? Can I explain it to my friend and not have the or wife a substitute wife? Just because sometimes it. when when I'm want to figure out if what I'm doing is like weird, I'll, I'll tell it to my wife Betsy, and if she goes, "Whoa, that's weird," then I know that I'm my head's in the wrong place. If you're even asking this question of us, you know that there's something fishy here, right? There is. There's one thing I should we should, we should mention, and I think this is a little bit off topic, is you gotta you gotta check what your relationship was at your current gig. Now, a lot of people. Um, uh, get jobs as programmers and don't sign any kind of contract uh, at all. And if you have a gig as a programmer and you have not signed the contract, then you own the code that you wrote. And they merely have a license to it. And that's surprising to people. But if you get a job as a programmer and you never signed anything, then the, by default, any code you write for that employer, is the copyright is owned by you. 
which is why um, the, uh, the almost every gig you're going to get as a programmer is going to make you sign a contract that says this is a work for hire and work for hire is a legal phrase magic abracadabra that means that the employer owns the work that you do and you're merely doing it for hire to get paid and the reason you need that contract is that in the united states and just in general the way that the law defaults the ownership even though you got paid and that was your job if you don't have any agreement they, they, you're, you're, you're giving them code that they merely have a license to use. So the same thing actually it surprises people about photographers. If you hire a photographer to come take pictures at your wedding and you don't sign anything and the photographer comes and takes pictures of your wedding, uh, you get to use those pictures, but you don't get to sell them. And the photographer still owns them and those pictures are going to show up in you know wedding photography illustrated next month and the photographer is making money off your wedding photographs. That's completely legit. No, that's a great point. I think you should understand the law, even yeah. if you don't agree with it. Or, I mean, I think that's important because it's the whole ignorance is not a defense thing. It's also important if you're hiring programmers to make sure that you get them to sign a standard employment agreement. And the easy, easiest way to do this is to, to go to Nolo Press uh, and get their book on, on uh, software development and get their standard or, or web development. They have one for web development. And uh, it comes with a little CD-ROM, and it's got you can download it, actually, and it's got all these standard contracts, and you can take a totally standard contract. And um, among other things, it'll explicitly say, you know, the work that you do is work for hire, and that's really, really important. That's why, uh, unlike McDonald's employees, software developers are almost always working under a contract as opposed to just, you know, common law, I got a job. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's really important for the employer to own the code that the employee writes. Well, you're creating things. Yeah, that's why you got hired. And so it makes sense. But unfortunately, if you went to a judge and and if the employer was unable to come up with a contract. So you should check if you signed a contract when you started working there. And a lot of companies that aren't in the intellectual property field, you know, if it's a trucking company, they might not have been completely aware of this. And, uh, And they might not have made you sign a contract saying that it's a work for hire. And then you would be totally in the clear. You can take it with you. You can sell it to other people, too. Probably shouldn't, because cool. that'll piss them off. <laughs> well, that was, that, was a good, that was a good question. Do we have another question? Uh, you know, we got some, but they're not so good. Here, I'll, let's... Well, nah. no, no, no. We, we, we don't have to do that, because I have a topic, and I think it might take a little time. Let's do a topic. I don't have any any. So the topic I want to talk about was... That what came up was uh, open sourcing Stack Overflow code. Now, this is, now, to be clear, this is not something that's happened tomorrow, or even next week, or even this year, or even or even maybe next year. But eventually, I am very much for it because I feel like that is how code... If you want code to survive in the larger world, eventually, I believe in the current climate, you have to open source it. So Windows is dead. Essentially, yes, I would agree with that. The iPhone operating system, dead. Mm, well, the, phone, the iPhone's a little bit different because it's such a closed ecosystem. But in an, in, a, in an ecosystem of where anybody can build and anybody can jump in and participate, and it's essentially no cost to entry, the cell phone market is not a no cost to entry market. Um, mm. It's a pretty much closed ecosystem. But the PC is definitely a anybody can play. There's no charge ecosystem. And I think in that ecosystem, I think open source is is kind of winning. And you yourself linked to the the article by uh, uh, oh gosh Kent Beck. Talking about how he can't make money anymore. I did not link to that. You linked to that. <laughs> I linked to that. Sorry, I linked to that. <laughs> You're confusing me and you again. I know. I always do that. So I linked to that. Sorry. Remember, I'm the good-looking one. 
Yes, that's right. I linked to that. Why would I link to that? I don't know. I linked to that. Uh, but he, I think it was the, the, the subtext of that, that article was that the open source stuff is kind of undercutting a lot of his, his, his efforts to make money even. Um, so well, I think he's, he's making dinky it. little developer tools, to be honest. He's making developer he, – he, he, the, 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 uh, the, the quote-unquote product that Kent Beck makes. Mm-hmm. Actually, we should, we, should, we should figure out what that is before I – Yes, that might be good. I, I was just making a broad comment J, about. J, is it J Unit? No, it's not J Unit, is it? Okay, well let, let me let me take this one higher level up. The only point <sighs> I'm trying to make, and it's a very minor one, is that the stuff that everybody has access to is the stuff that has power in the world. Accessibility and people being able to get to you ends up being the most important com- competitive advantage you can have in the long term in software. So with that in mind, the more people that can get to the Stack Overflow code, the better chance that code has to you know, evolve and live and survive. So I think it, it has to happen at some point. And like I said, not, not this month, not, not even this year, maybe not even next year, but eventually I'm very much for this. Now, the thing that makes it weird is that you guys are doing uh, a hosted version of Stack Overflow. Yeah. We're spending uh, – I mean, we're going to spend, we're gonna spend a, a ton of money. Like $50, $60 on like – Making this a product? What? Right? No, no. We hired a whole no, I'm, person. I'm, so, I'm kidding, kidding. It, 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 you know, it just in the first year, and plus all the servers and stuff that we're gonna, we're going to buy and stuff like that. Probably in the first year, uh, we might spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Um, well, right. And and actually, somebody asked me on Twitter. They're like, "Well, wouldn't this overlap completely? Wouldn't this overlap completely? The open sourcing overlap completely with the hosted version of Stack Overflow?" Yeah. And I, my gut feeling is actually no because i think you have two really distinct markets there you have the people that don't want to pay anything ever for for the software and those for those kind of people it's great because there's no other way they would use stack overflow code anyway if there's any barrier whatsoever they're like ah to heck with it i'm not going to use this thing but they have infinite time they can just spend all their time trying to get it to work improving and all that stuff and then you have the other audience they they don't care they just want it to work like they want a one click Make it work for me solution. See, the thing is, though, if, if we open source Stack Overflow, there are 400, 400 hosting companies in the world that are mm-hmm. good and 40,000 that are crappy. And those 400 good ones will go take the open source thing and they'll make it work. And oh, so you now, think the actual hosting companies themselves would start turning it into a product offering? Yeah, of course. Okay. I didn't really think about that. I was thinking more of like individual companies that wanted the Stack Overflow solution would would go out and implement it on right well they're, they're gonna there's gonna be a category of as long as as long as somebody can just assemble these things mm-hmm. by taking the open source thing and pr- providing it then the value of the hosting goes down to the actual the price of the hosting has to go down to its cost however mm-hmm. much it costs if the software is free then the most the most i can charge i mean as soon as there's competition we're all gonna be lowering our prices until we get down to charging literally just for the bandwidth and the electricity and the air conditioning and right. once we're competing on that, there's no there's no profit in there, and we. Well, well, any but, but, but wait a minute. What about like stuff like WordPress and Movable Type, where that stuff's open source, but you know they those companies themselves yeah. make money having hosted versions. So how is that even possible? In, do they, do they, as a first business, of all, from what you're describing. Uh, uh, okay, I don't know these companies all that well. Movable Type is um is not the same as TypePad, which is the hosted service that they provide, and so. If you just take movable type and offer movable type hosting, you're not giving people as good a service as TypePad or Vox. They're, they're two products. Uh, 
But couldn't you make that case about us as well? Like, certainly you guys have a hand in the code. I mean, you helped us create it. Well, if you want to make an open source version of Stack Overflow that's that's, that's substantially less good than the hosted Stack Overflow that we provide, that would be a different story. But if you're talking about just open sourcing it, that would be the same story. Hmm. Um, One side note to the open sourcing story is that I do think that for .NET code, if you're going to open source it and you want it to get traction in the world, I mm. do believe it has to run under mono. Like you can't, because a lot of people really object to the stack. In other words, they object to not our, when I say stack, I don't mean our code, but I mean the Microsoft stuff you need. Yeah, they won't. They work. just won't. They're not even. They're not even in that mentality really. They're. They're. You're, you're looking at different people. Yeah. The, the, so the, I think. Yeah. If we were going to do this, like priority number one would be we'd have to take. It probably wouldn't take very long, maybe a week at most, because uh, mono actually does support link link to SQL. Hmm. Obviously, they don't. you can't actually use SQL. I mean, if you want to go all free software, you'd have to rip out SQL Server and replace it with MySQL or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the link pieces and all the, the ASP.NET, MVC, all that stuff is supported through Mono. So I don't think that would actually take long to set yeah. up. And actually, that might be the kind of thing when you release it as open source, somebody would actually take that and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to help you guys. I'm gonna, I don't want to use SQL Server, so I'm going to contribute my time and Put in the MySQL bindings. Yeah, I, th- I think what you find is that you find that in the open source world, the people are just of a different religion, and you're selling them water and oil here, and the, well, they just they just that, look at that and they say that's .NET, and I know I could get it to run under Mono, but uh, I, I want well, an all. I think PHP these are very version. different. And this is kind of my argument. I think these are such different audiences. You know, the, the people that don't want to pay anything versus right. the people that say, you know what, I want convenience. Totally different audiences. Like, I don't think one really undercuts the other to any significant degree. I just I, I, I think mean, that I think that if we were were to I think that if we were to open source um, the Stack Overflow code, that would undermine the Stack Exchange business in the, the short term. Well, whatever, it would just not no longer be a viable business. Period. I don't. I don't it know, would be I, as I vi- you know it would be as viable as any other kind of hosting business. Mm. It would just be like one of those commodity providers of like I give you ten inboxes for one hundred and six dollars, and then the next person says I'll give you ten inboxes and you know free access to FTP for. $98, and that's just, it's just a race to the bottom. And the people that win are the people that have ginormous scale and huge funds, and they haven't even won yet. And, you know, it's the, the, these gigantic companies like one in one that have the $6 web hosting package. They're going to mm-hmm. add Stack Overflow to that because it costs them zero. zero. But then how can, but I don't understand. Again, I got to go back to my uh, movable type and, and yeah. WordPress. I mean, how can those even exist as businesses? I do not know how much money either of them make. Those are private companies. Okay. And they, and they the, have investments, but, but so I, I, don't, I don't know how much not, they make. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't agree with what you're saying. I, no, I, I want to set expectations. I, I, I don't foresee us open sourcing anytime real soon, but it is something I do want to get to. And it sounds like you're kind of against it because you think that it would kill the hosted version, which I actually don't think it would. Yeah. But, I mean, this well, is a I discussion. You haven't given me a basis for, for why it wouldn't kill the hosted version to basically make all the, that product available for free for anybody who wanted to host it. I mean, it would re- literally take somebody, somebody who already had a hosting environment, like an ISP, literally mm-hmm. take, if, it was, if the thing was really open source, I mean, it would take them a day and they'd be up and running. Uh, and, and it would be, you know, totally. So I, I think it would kill that business. And, and the only circumstance in which I, I would really consider that is if it turns out that hosting Stack Exchange, Stack Exchange or Stack Overflow type sites for people was not really a, a very good business. Like if we just discovered that, that, that not that many people want it and it's not very cost-effective, and that's not a very good business, and there is a good business in Stack Overflow itself, then um, 
you know, and we just decided to sort of abandon that business, then we might, you know, you, you might want to just say, all right, fine, let's just make it open source because we don't care about that particular part of the business. Okay. But right well, now, I'm very much not thinking that that's a bad part of the business. I actually think that, um, you know, we have a lot of people signing up for Stack Exchange sites, um, 55 based on, and we haven't really mentioned it anywhere, you know? So, well, I think at some level, too, you have to look at, okay, so eventually people clone whatever you have. Yeah, there um, will be a clone so, that will come out. Yeah. Right. So why, at some level, you might, might as well just beat them to the punch and clone yourself. You know, you control, it's like you, you're taking control of the situation. You're saying, well, why clone when you can have the, you know, the real thing? Um, yeah, I don't I mean, really you, see the argument. <laughs> I, mean, I don't, I don't well, completely buy it. Well, say somebody came up with a perfect clone. Yeah. When, they, when, they, when somebody comes up with a perfect clone, then we'll still have a marketing advantage of being able to say we have the same code that runs on Stack Overflow. And there's going to be a group of people that say, you know, this gives me confidence and makes me feel happy about getting this particular branded version, even though it's just like, you know, Exxon versus BP. It's all the same oil, right? But, but there are people that just have the one that they like for some reason. And so we'll have a brand advantage there. And that brand advantage is going to be worth enough money that I think it'll be worth doing even when there are clones. Uh, but if there was no brand advantage, because all we were doing is host, hosting, so it's basically like email inboxes, it becomes a commodity because everybody has the same code exactly, it's the same server, then all you're really competing on is you know, price. And, that, and when you're only competing on price, that's called a commodity market, meaning you, there's no profit left in there. They can't make a profit because everybody lowers the price until the person who has the cheapest costs which is not the person with a nice office space in New York City with a fancy Class A office in New York City. is not the person with the cheapest cost. That's going to be Rackspace based in Dallas or One in One, which is a German company, I think. That's going to be me. I'm going to be here hosting it in my uh, bedroom here. Yeah, go for it. you got pretty low costs there. <laughs> yeah, my costs are unbelievably low. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, good discussion. I just want to cover it. And uh, again, just to be clear, yeah. it's not something we're going to do now or even real soon. But yeah. uh, I would like to go to a Joel's against it. So uh, we'll see what happens in like a year well we're gonna have a (laughs) we're gonna have a a fight on the podcast next week (laughs) with mexican boxing mexican wrestling costumes yeah cool we'll have gordo.fufus.net come in and and wear wear his little mask and yeah so do we have any stack overflow or server fault questions we wanted to highlight this week um okay let's see michael gorsuch writes oh holy crap he's built a stack overflow clone <gasps> Look at that. He's got it Sting? up and running. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, okay, so we have the first Stack Overflow clone running at Fog Creek now. Oh, cool. It's, uh, it's on our local internet. I think he's running it on a VM. That he's so, so uh, um, that actually makes me enthusiastic that the Stack Exchange thing is going to be up well before September 1st. Well, yeah, you, you guys have a deadline, right? September. I was surprised at yeah. your little webpage there. You actually put a date on it. Yeah, we will definitely be at least in beta by September 1st, and beta meaning you can make public betas and stuff like that. And, and I base that on the fact that, you know, as of today, we can create these sites. So in the worst-case scenario, we just knock out a lot of them manually. Um, well, since we don't have a Stack Overflow or server question, I have a little writer question I'd like to add, which sure. I believe that the code you guys have, because you're going to be selling to individual clients, is going to – there's going to be – there's going to be forking going on here that I think is inevitable. Forkage. That, I think, that, which yeah, isn't sort of bad, a, but I think that you guys have a very, you're going to have a very different audience that we have on the public internet. You and mean I the kind the of people thing, that are making Stack Exchange sites are going to want different features different than the people that are actually on StackOverflow.com. 
or or super user or yeah, right. absolutely. I believe this in my heart of hearts to be true. Yeah, I, um, I believe that it, they're going to be the code is going to slightly diverge, but I don't want it to actually be mechanically a fork unless that becomes absolutely essential. Just because you know, I'd rather have features that are if deft out on your side and features that are if deft out on our side, so that when there is something that is beneficial to both sides, it only has I to just be written can't once. See us? I don't know. That just seems so hard to maintain. I, I, really? If it's if deft out, what if we change something? We wouldn't even know if we broke it. Because yeah. you would un-if-def it, and then it would break, and then we would. Why would we ever? Dude, uh, you, the power of Mercurial. You would send us the pat. You would send us the diff, and we would look at it. And if it was okay, we would accept. It, and if it wasn't, we wouldn't. That's all. That's all it takes. So what yeah. we wind up with actually, it's sort of the the power of distributed version control is that you can pretty safely um, have kind of two repositories and send each other fi- fixes and you know send each other patches and ignore some patches and accept others. I guess that's forking, huh? I think you guys are going to fork. I mean, I think it's... Maybe I'm just a pessimist, and it might be just my, my pessimism uh, showing its ugly head, but I I can't think of any way this is going to work as let's, a single code. Let's, well, let's take some... I mean, what are some of the examples of things where you see needing Well, to, number uh, one, login. Because OpenID for us is, you know, we're committed, and our login strategy is tied to that. But I do not think that makes sense for your audience Really? You don't all. think I can require people to use OpenID? I, I think you can, but number one, I think Michael Pryor will hate you, and number two, he's actually right. <laughs> in the in the scenario that he that you guys are going to have, he is absolutely. I agree with Michael. Now. So we need to provide another logon method that's yes. not OpenID. I believe that is absolutely. So let's true. say that we write some code that looks like that looks like a regular logon system, like the the, the ASP.NET membership provider. For those of you that are familiar with that, and basically your generic you provide a username and password, make your account, change password, I forgot my password. We, we write that generic code. And under the covers, it, it, it's actually using OpenID internally. And so it's basically a blob of code that's calling into your code base. And as far as the main code base cares, it's just another OpenID provider. And as far as we're concerned, we're, we're, we're actually kind of hiding that. And so you've got this isolated piece of separate code that provides login, logout services, which just doesn't show up in the interface on stackoflow.com and does on Stack Exchange. I think that's going to be really become really difficult to maintain over time. Well, not if you, a, I mean, if you have very, very clearly defined interfaces but and we you don't, modularize that's, that. That's, well, we can do uh, that. Well, we, can, we can help you with that. So we take, we take the whole login, we take the whole identity provider, um, whatever that may be, and we isolate that in a single class and then we have ooh, dependency injection. So we've basically oh, but, got two classes that provide membership or identity. And but you're going to use one okay. and we use the other. Right, right. No, I'm all for us working together, but I think you're going to add abstractions to our code that we don't care about. Like I, Yeah, but tough that you take them because it's going to benefit you. And the way it's going to benefit you is later. How is that going to benefit me? Because later when I write that code to fix your spell checker bug, you can just, you can just take that and the code still, it still works. Right, so when there is something for, for the eighty percent of the site that we're sharing, the functionality that we're sharing, all you got to do is you know you just take the patches. I think there's. A, I don't think this is going to work out in practice. I mean, not because you guys are doing anything wrong, but because the audiences are just too different. It's like arguing that I can have an iPod that works for, you know, three radically different uses. You know, and I, I don't think that's sustainable product design. I think that your audience is so different from ours that serving your audience is going to move us away from our audience actively. 
I, that, maybe I'm a pessimist. I, uh, maybe I'll be proven wrong. And obviously, we're going to try to make this work. I'm not saying this because I want to fight you. I'm just saying it because in my heart of hearts, I do not believe it's going to work that way. That's what you're describing. Uh, but yeah. I, I would love to be proven wrong. I feel like people always regret forking. Oh, absolutely you regret it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I want to. Nobody wants to fork. I'm just saying in this case, I can't see any other way of it happening in practice. Mm-hmm. But... We'll see. And like I said, I would love to be proven wrong. I'm not, not, not going to fight you on this. I'm going to work with you, but I just want to register my pessimism in advance. It's pouring here. <laughs> it, it rained almost every day in June. This is like the, this is like the wettest summer on record oh, wow. for New York City. Wow. Um, absolutely friggin' miserable weather. That's a bummer. Huh. Anyhow, um, well, I am looking forward to the the launch of the Stack Exchange, so that's going to be. And, and you're committed to that name now. Uh, you know, I just don't. Yeah, I'm one of those people that doesn't care that much about names because I know that they eventually just become syllables <laughs> in your head. <laughs> I'm just not. Uh, I, if if I could find a better name, I would. I, I kind of like Stack Exchange. We do know that. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm interested in promoting the the term knowledge exchange because we we know there are going to be clones of this thing. Uh, all over the place, uh, uh, you know. There's going to be the open source PHP version of this that 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 everybody else is going to be using. That's not very good for Lucky, and um, I just want to make sure everybody's calling this a knowledge exchange uh, as the as the generic term for what this category of software is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like having the, the word exchange in there, and <clears throat> so that leads us to. And we also want to make a connection back to Stack Overflow. What about the word sex? Do you yes. want the word sex in there? Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, cool, yeah. yeah. Sex, I mean, sex makes everything better. Stack Exchange is just S dot EX dot. That's going to be <laughs> that's gonna be short for Stack Exchange. S dash EX dot com. Yes. Our dreams have finally come true. Can we buy EX dot com? I don't know who. No, no, S dash. You put the dash in there because that makes it cheaper. Oh, my God. Look at that. You could buy EX dot com. It's a squatter. Um, wow. S dash ex, I think you probably can. <gasps> oh, <laughs> that's a squatter. Are you, are you too. registering it now? It's a squatter too. Yeah, and it's got it's all men too. It's all pictures of naked men. Okay, uh, stackexchange.com has a sign up form on it, um, and just to our listeners know, basically, um, we're, we're going to have a limited number of people that can that can get these sites in the early days when we're doing a beta. And so uh, the sooner you sign up, the more likely you are to be one of the first people that are given an opportunity to make beta Stack Exchange sites. Um, there's no commitment to filling out that form. It just goes in a Google spreadsheet somewhere. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I am definitely also looking forward to working with you guys uh, on your end of the code. So hopefully we can share improvements. Yeah. That would be nice. Uh, so mm-hmm. let me let, let me actually take us out since you always do the podcast summary. Okay, good because I have no idea what I, what I would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have it up in front of me for once. So if you would like to submit a question to the podcast, then please do. If you have a good question, uh, we ask that there are ninety seconds or less. Please mention your name. Mail it to podcast at stackoverflow.com, up to 90 seconds of, I think, MP3 or Ogvorbis uh, format. And then if you don't want to do that, you can just call. We have a dedicated phone number. It's six four six. Eight two six three eight seven nine. You can leave questions for us there under the same parameters. We also have a community wiki we use to so people who can't actually hear the podcast can read transcriptions of it 
And that will be linked from the show notes. We encourage everybody who's interested to participate there. Uh, anything else that I left out, Joel? That's it. See you next week. See you next week. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.